Thanks, Lucas. Yeah, it is great to be with you guys this morning, and um, it's always wonderful to share what God's doing amongst us and to see what God is doing. It's been a really sweet time of worship. Um, yeah, so Jen- Jenny and I, we, uh, Jenny was born in Kenya, I was born in Durban, we both got Scottish ancestors, grandparents, so we're quite English, and it was one of God's jokes that we led at Durbanville, which is a very Afrikaans congregation. Well, Alistair and Sally were with us. Anybody else used to be in Durbanville here? Other than Alistair and Sally. And so even my notes, I normally have to translate some of the, the words into Afrikaans. How many people here are Afrikaans first language? Oh, quite a few. Not like Durbanville, though. Um, and so, yeah, we've, Jenny's known the Lord since probably the 1975, 76, around there. Um, I got saved in the church that she helped plant, and uh, it was a small church at the time, and I got saved there in 1980, and uh, as a young man, and yeah, we got married in 1982, we got three sons, the oldest is 40, and he's a businessman here in Cape Town, the middle one's uh, a game ranger somewhere out there, and, uh, and the youngest one's a chartered accountant living in Amsterdam for many years now. And the oldest one is married. Others about once the youngest one's going to get married at the end of this year, and uh, so it's, that's a bit about us and our background. So we've known the Lord for many years, as you can imagine, and walked and journeyed. I've been in business for about 24 years, and then I went into ministry in this church 22 years ago. Um, I actually oversaw the building project here. It's our first building we ever bought. I just come full time at the end of 2001, and I've just done a a building project at work, and you know, I was working for the corporate, and my last job was with Total, the French petroleum guys, um, and I'd done a big uh, business, a plant I'd built, designed and built this plant, and uh, came into ministry, and, and, and we'd, we'd bought this land. Uh, it was amazing how we got this land. We had a church been going about a year and a half, and we bought this whole, and there was three pieces of land here, and, they, and Andrew said, no, I want all three, and uh, Garden Cities, the developers said, no, we're only going to give you one. Maybe two. We're going to put three churches here. Andrew said, no, I want all three or nothing. And uh, they gave us all three. And we had no money. And so we had a church about as big as this, I think, the whole of Josh Jen. And most of the people didn't have jobs. And, um, and so I said, Andrew, I'll do the building project. You know, I'll run with it. And he said, I said, how much money have we got? You know, Just coming off corporate where, you know, how many millions do you need and all that type of thing. And there's money and budgets available. Yeah, we've got 30,000 rand. Uh, even then, it was a little bit of money, okay? So I mean, we dug a trench, I think, and put one wall up. And, and it was, a, it was, as Jenny said, I used to be blonde and beautiful, good-looking, and uh, not anymore after that time of building. But everyone pitched, and it was amazing. And see, and this is a physical building. It just serves us. It's a tool. But the kingdom of God is the most precious thing. And uh, we've, been, we've been passionate about it all, all our lives and since we got saved and uh, passionate about seeing what God wants to do and transform lives because we're called to be the living building, the living stones that build, God is building up and he's the cornerstone. And uh, we're called to represent him and, and look healthy and, and to, there's a lost and dying world out there. You know, what are Sunday meetings? What is this meeting all about? Is this the church meeting or is this just a meeting? For me, it's a, it's a good meeting. It's a wonderful time together. We can come and worship God and uh, preaching of the word so that we can be equipped so we can go and do and because the word should the word of God should transform our lives it should shape us you know when, when you get born again and saved 
you come into God's kingdom and you become, you get to know him. His word comes alive and it should shape and change you. Uh, I'd never, when I got saved, I came from, Jenny and I both came from uh, non-church backgrounds, even though we lived in a country that called itself a Christian country, which there's no such thing. Um, but we were, had been exposed to Christianity in, in, in organizations, but never really encountered God. I was in my 20s, as I said, when I suddenly got born again in a meeting like this. A friend took me along. He was, off, he was chasing after a girl in the church. And, uh, and she said, no, I can have nothing to do with you because you, you're not saved. You're not a Christian. And so I phoned her and gave her a piece of my mind. How can you say that? And judgmental and all that type of thing. And, and so I went along. He said, come see this church. So I went along, and, and just like this, like a day like this, worshiping God, and I said, I've never, I mean, I've been in now and again, like Christmas Day, you know, you go to re- religious church, and just to see uh, what, God, what God was doing in the people, and God just opened, he revealed, the, the veil lifted, and I got born again, and I didn't even know what that was, I didn't know what an elder was, or a deacon, or tithing, or, I knew nothing, I'd never read the Bible, the Bible suddenly came alive. I could just suddenly read this thing, and I could not stop reading it. And the church I was in was a young, raw church. I mean, the pastor, the lead elder, had only been saved a couple of years himself. And uh, so they made me a deacon in my first, the first year of being saved. I was a youth leader, uh, a, a comm leader in year one. And I was so excited for God. And, and I was in the defense force at the time. When I left, I went to Bible college. I sold everything I had, which was a motorbike and a car. And I went to Bible college. And for a year, I'm not a very good academic, but so, but, and I thought after I came out, I'm going to go into ministry, and God said, no, I've got another plan, and a journey that he took me on. And you know, God, there's a road marked out for every one of us, and every one of our journeys is different. And God, God is molding and shaping us for his purposes. Do you know, the, you know why you exist? Just to serve him. Your life is just here to glorify God. That's all it is. God's proud of us. He loves us. We're his apple of his eye. He, Jesus came to die for this. You're the most precious thing on the planet. There's just no price that can be put on you except the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus bought you. you are, you're the most expensive thing. You're precious in his sight. And he loves this thing called church. The church was Jesus' idea, okay? It was not man's idea. And we've got to fall in love with the church that God loves. He loves the church. He loves what he's building. And the Bible says in Ephesians and in Res- Res- Revelation that the church is, you know, is preparing herself. The bride is preparing herself. And also says that Jesus is preparing his bride. Both are working simultaneously and getting us ready for that day. And we should be ready and looking forward to what he's going to do. In Hebrews 12, if you want to put that up, verse 1 to 3. Um, I'm going to read from here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him... You endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not, be, not grow weary and lose heart. And this morning I want to speak on resilience. That means to be able to stand firm, to be able to take life's knocks, to be able to go through this life and go into eternity and know that you've served God 100% with your life, that you've flat out for Him in this life. The question is, does God have your whole heart? 
There's a well-known guy called William Booth. They called him General William Booth of the Salvation Army. And the Salvation Army used to be an on-fire organization for the Lord Jesus in the 1800s. They started in England and moved and also worked in America. And William Booth, when he was dying, uh, in the latter years, he's a very old man, they interviewed him and they said, William Booth, how come your life counted so much for God? He says, because God got all of William Booth. God got all of William Booth. And I asked myself that question, Russell, has, has the Lord got all of you? you know, and and that, that would be shown in my way of life, my priorities, and what's got my heart. So all ministry should come from an overflow of the heart. Everything, your whole life should come a spilling over of the heart. It's, it's got to start with, does God have your heart? Does he have your heart? Are you fully dead? Like in Galatians uh, 2.20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ Jesus. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And I deal a lot with people. That's what I, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Could you say that about yourself, that God has got you 100%? And unfortunately, sometimes as Christians, we set the standard of how much God has got our heart. We say, yeah, I'm fully committed, you know, Sundays and Wednesday nights. There was a, actually a famous uh, guy called uh, Keith Green. Anybody know Keith Green? He died. All the older folk will know him. Go and look up some of his music. He died at the age of 28 in a plane crash. But he wrote some really strong songs. One was, um, to obey is better than sacrifice. I want more than Sundays or Wednesday nights. And if you can't give me everything, then don't bother coming at all. And some said, wow, it's a bit hard, you know, statement to make. But is it really? Has God got all of you? Not according to your standards, but according to his standards. Because once he's got your heart, the outworking is so much easier. The joy is set before you. If we just keep preaching, come and die, come and die, come and die, eventually you'll get depressed. How much more must I die? All I hear is I must die, I must die. But Jesus had to go through tough times. In Isaiah it says he was a man of many sorrows. There was not much to draw us to him. But the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Is there a joy in your heart? Do you visualize? Do you see what God has prepared for you? Are you excited about it? Are you, man, I can't wait. Tim Keller died this week. Tim Keller was died at the age of 72 from pancreatic cancer, one of the biggest um, names in America in church leadership. And his last words just this week, and he died the next day. He said, I want to go home to be with Jesus. I want to go home. That's home, you see. This is just passing through. But if we hang on to this life, and, and it's so easy, the devil is one of his biggest plans. If he can't get you to deny the faith, he'll get you just to be insignificant and your life not counting. And that you're just going through the motions and you're just giving, what's the least I can give God that'll make him happy? I want to go to heaven what's the least I can give God to ensure that I go to heaven? And it should be, you know, once you see the joy and, and we understand um, that beautiful road that he's got mapped out for us, that road he's called us to walk in, every one of us, it makes it so much easier to persevere and push through whatever this life throws at you. This life, and I'm going to probably lean a little bit towards the toughness of this life, and, but knowing our God, how he brings you through, and we've, we've had to live it. The last, I say, about two and a half years, Jenny and I have 
especially more me, but Jenny's had to journey with me in sickness and in health uh, in this last two and a half years, where, where first I got COVID in the second wave and the beta time, um, where we couldn't get an ambulance to take me to hospital, and Jenny had to push me down the passage in an in a office chair and grab, load me into the car, drop me off at the hospital, and that was my daughter-in-law's mother got me into the hospital because they were punching and fighting to get in at the doorway to try and get into the hospital. It was totally full. And then when I got there, they said, why do you leave it so late? I said, well, I didn't leave it so late. I mean, I couldn't get into hospital before, you know, I tried. And the first words the nurse says to me, the, 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 I finally get into the ward at the middle of the night. I think they had to wait for someone to die, to vacate a bed. And the nurse says to me, welcome to the COVID ward. You're either going home to be with Jesus or you're going home to your family. Great, you know, that's very encouraging. Um, thankfully, I'm pretty strong in my faith. And uh, I got, so I had my phone and said, I thought, okay, let me say goodbye to my family. I'm going to try and record a message. You know, people were doing that in those times. And um, I, could, I, didn't, I didn't have the strength. I was too weak. So I said, Lord, my family, I'll leave them in your hands. Um, I had a lady either side of me. I mean, you never put men and women in the same ward. But so, it was like a little war zone. They set up this ICU COVID ward just for these times. And uh, the two ladies, in, in a, both in a coma, they both died. Um, and it was a traumatic time, you know, when you, the doctor comes around, he says, oh, this is Mr. Fraser, I'd like to keep a bed open for someone who's dying. Great. And these guys all, they must have really did well in, in, in encur patient encouragement classes at medical school, all these guys. Um, but anyhow, um, I, I, I had to weigh up my life before the Lord and say, okay, Lord, is this it? Am I coming home to see you now? These guys are all advising me to get ready. Um, so is there anything in my heart, in my, is there anything that I need to sort out, any... Thing I need to make right with you before I come home. And I, I really just, I mean, I had nowhere else to go. So I had to sit there and, and just pray and ask the Lord with all these pipes and stuff in you. And I really felt I couldn't find anything. I mean, it was now or never. And, uh, and then I, I felt like, okay, I'm in a good place with God because I, I do keep short accounts with the Lord. Anything happens, I'll, I'll go straight to the person and make right. If someone ever offends me or upsets me, or if I don't misunderstand, I'll say, Lucas, just explain to me. Help me understand. What did you mean by that? I'll make sure there's nothing between us. I want to be able to see him and do life together with him as a family. I don't want to hold any grudges and anything that I've done against someone. I always go and I want to make sure that I'm in a good place with people. Um, there's nothing to regret. When I stand before the Lord, but I've also got to give an account for the words spoken, for all our actions. We've got to give an account. And, and I'm ready. I want to get ready for that day. And what I do, for what I feel my calling on my life and is to prepare the body of Christ as, as one of the people and the leaders in this, of Josh Jen, is to prepare God's people to stand before him, to, to get through this life victoriously. Because, you know, in John, uh, Jesus said, in this life, you will have hardship. You will. Take heart, I've overcome. And we can so misconstrue mis uh, that and misunderstand that scripture. I mean, when I first got saved, our church went into the hyper faith teaching. I've experienced the hyper faith teaching with the, you know, the word of faith, name it and claim it, perfect health, wealth. I've been through all that teaching. And I've seen the damage that it causes. We've been through a lot in 43 years of serving the Lord. And we've seen a lot of doctrines and we see what, what fruit comes from what. So as a leader in this church, I feel so protective of it. This is, belongs to Jesus. You don't belong to Andrew Selly or the elders or Josh Jen. We're not here to build Josh Jen or anything. We had to build the kingdom of God and God's precious people, which is you. I know, when I, would, I know we, we experience God's heart for his sheep because he calls us to be shepherds. That's what God called us to do. 
And I want to prepare God's people to be victorious in this life and in going into the next. Because the next life is what it's all about. And then last year I also had cancer, and they had to cut that out, and also the, it was life-threatening. Um, so I'm living in a place where I really understand that scripture about being an alien in this world. I feel like I'm just visiting. Um, I'm just here for who knows how long, maybe another 20 years. Maybe my mother just turned 90 the other day, so it, I could live long in this life, but that's not the point. I want to live victoriously in this life, serving Jesus no matter what comes my way. And having been in the church for so many years and seeing, I've seen people not make it. I've seen people give up. There's a picture that I saw the other day of, of the elders of Josh Jen of the early years. And some of the guys haven't made it. One of the guys stood with me at the gate outside here about 10 years ago. And he said to me, I'm leaving this church. And he, got, he was offended about something, but we could never figure out what. And his words were to me, I'll know I'll never find a church like this. But I, he couldn't stay. He's never gone back to church. An elder. My heart breaks when I hear that story. And there's others like that. God is burning that he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He wants to bring us all the way to the end so we don't get offended. I don't know if Alistair and Sally can remember, but for Durbanville, I want to speak, I used to speak God's dream over them. That you'll make it. You will be unoffendable. No matter what anybody says to you about culture, race, whatever, that you'll you won't get offended. That's what's playing straight into the enemy's hands. You know, look at Jesus. If anybody should have been offended at him, he was deserted by his friends, turned against. He was, in, he was born to a people that were being oppressed. Pontius Pilate says to him, you know, I've got your life in my hands. He says, no ways, you haven't. My God decides. I can call down legions of angels right now. Hanging on the cross, people tormenting him. He's naked. There wasn't a little loincloth around him. It was humiliating. And they were mocking him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Not, oh, you wait, guys. Just wait till I see you in eternity. He didn't say that. Father, forgive them. See, the spirit, the values of the kingdom are so opposite to the values of this world. If you're going to play by the rules of this world as a Christian, you're going to get hurt. I'll be in five years' time and half of you won't be here. You'll be left. You would have got offended. You would have, God's leading me on. You know how many times we hear that? People just lie. That when they leave church, they don't tell the truth. No, no, they've got no offense really, but God's leading me on. We know they're talking nonsense in the majority of the situations. Because God puts you with a bunch of people. I've been in two churches in 43 years. One in Durban and one in Cape Town. Have I had reason to be offended and want to leave? Of course I have. Paul and Barnabas had a, a big disagreement that they split. They never, you don't hear about Barnabas ever again. I said, Lord, I don't want that. I want to serve faithfully where you've put me. When elders have left this church, I said, do you realize what you're doing? Because 1 Corinthians, 3 says, 1 Corinthians 4 says, those who've been given a trust must prove faithful. God gave me a trust of a bride, Jenny, in 1982. I've got to prove faithful. I was an unfaithful man before I got saved. I really determined in my heart that I'd have, I'd have like, the world calls it affairs, but the real term is adultery. I just thought that was a who can be married just to one person? And I'd stay married for this, you know, it's a good thing to do, but I'd have other people on the side. Why not? Sounds like a good idea. And I've been faithful for 41 years because God says he doesn't trust you with one of my, one of my daughters. I would stand for God one day and say, Lord, did I love your bride the way, your, the daughter that you, that you would have loved her? Ephesians chapter 5 says, 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. I never forced Jenny to submit to me. The scripture says she must, but that's between her and God. She must decide whether she wants to obey that scripture or not. She has. She's been a very, we've co-labored. We're equal in, this, in God. But are you faithful with what God's given you? Are you all operating in, the, in the, what, the gifting and just your life of being faithful and loving God's people? You know, where does ministry start? It starts just in loving one another. So when you come together, when you come together, and there's a lot, it talks about the body of Christ. We're all linked up. There's not, there's the professionals here and you guys there. We're all just one. We're all just a body called to work together and encourage one another. As you see a day approaching, it says in Hebrews 10, encourage one another. Do you come here on Sunday saying, man, I want to be used by God this morning? And, what, and most people think, well, prophetic words. That's wonderful. But what about just looking around and saying, well, that person over there is lonely. Is anyone, how about just going up to one another in, our, in Sunday time, we come together, hey, how are you doing? Can I just pray for you, man? Anything I can pray for? Just saying that someone cares. And don't forget the story of our lead elder in our previous church in Durban. He was busy preaching like this, and then suddenly stops, and he says, there's a lady called Mary here. God, God said, I must say that name, Mary. And he carried on preaching, didn't know what it meant, didn't understand the significance of it. And later, a lady, the lady came and said, you know what, I was desperate, I was considering committing suicide. I felt so lonely and broken, and no one really loved me, and... God, you don't even know I exist. So I came to the meeting, and you mentioned my name. God knows me. He knows me by name. He stopped everything to single me out, and he knows me. And so that, that is what Christianity 101, that's body of Christ 101. Because we're in this together, we've got a vicious enemy. He's seeking, in 1 Peter 5, says he's seeking whom he can devour. He's looking, he's prowling around. Seeing who he can take down. Who can he discourage? Who can he cause offense with? Who can he upset and get the person to break away and to weaken the body of Christ? We need a strong church right now. The church needs to stand. The church is collapsing on so many fronts on, on values. They're not standing for values any longer. They're giving into the world. The world's influencing the church. And, and the church is getting smaller and smaller. We need those who will stand and be resilient. I'll stand for truth. And we need to encourage one another while we see the day approaching. There is a day approaching for every one of us, either individually or collectively. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, it says, run to get the prize. Are we running to get the prize? Do you not know in the race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way to get the prize. The prize of what? The goal of your salvation. Knowing that you're going to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You served me. You, your life belonged to me. We don't want to hear those words like in Matthew. It says, you know, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons in your name? Get away from me. I never knew you. You know, Luke, I remember reading the scripture in Luke, somewhere around Luke 9, I think it was. We said all the disciples were preaching the gospel and, and healing the sick and casting out demons. And they came back. I think Jesus said, you know, don't rejoice that the demons submit. You rejoice that your name's written in the Lamb Book of Life. I thought, but Judas was there. Judas was casting out demons. Judas was healing the sick. 
And we put so much store on that. I mean, when I got saved, I want to be a Smith Wigglesworth. I don't know if you younger folk have heard of Smith Wigglesworth. Apostle of faith he was known as. Miracles. I want to see miracles. I'll be the guy who prayed for miracles. And I've prayed for deaf people. And I've seen all sorts of things happen get in people's bodies and get healed. In my own body, I've seen God do incredible healing. God can. But will you serve him if he doesn't? I've seen guys give up, eh? Because your theology and your doctrine is so, so, so important in this day and age. More so than ever, I would say. What do you believe about God? Because you'll be tested on that. A very good friend of mine, he's, 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 um, his wife was dying of cancer. And he got into the hyperfaith teaching eventually. I don't know how he got there, but he somehow landed in that teaching. No, she will be healed. And they start naming and claiming it. And, you know, God will heal. And we try to help him to see maybe this won't happen but let's we'll trust God anyhow but we can't tell God what to do and she died and he got angry when we went to go and see him he got the Bible and he threw it on the floor in front of me and he said that bunch of fairy tales finger in my face your wife never died and it was hard at that point to persuade him of what an amazing loving God we serve and it's not about this life we don't know. There's, there's casualties in this life. I mean, virtually every disciple died, apostle died, violent deaths, you know, with poor. They didn't have mega mansions and stuff. And even Jesus himself, he said, you know, fox of holes, birds of nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to put his head. Do you want to still follow me? That's why these false doctrines undermine the church, hurt the church. That friend of mine is back on track with the Lord now strongly. I remember going to another country and had an interpreter. And um, one day I went there and he wasn't there. And what happened to him? Where is he? No, he got disillusioned. He saw on, on the Christian radio, uh, TV channel, prosperity, health, wealth. He looked at the poverty of the townships and he said, where is God? And he gave up. He also came back to the Lord and got restored. But you just see how the enemy works with false doctrine. And if you, got, if you point in the wrong direction, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. You're not going to be res resilient. You're not going to make it. We've got to be those who are going to come through this life. You're going to get scars. You're going to get bruises. You're going to have bullet holes in you. And, and all sorts of things come your way. But you've got to be those who stand firm in God. In, book, in, in Daniel, um, you know, he said to the, the emperor, My, our God can uh, save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not serve you, emperor. So my God can do anything, can perform any miracle, anything can happen anytime, but even if he doesn't choose to do it, I will not stop serving him. I will not turn against him in any way. Look at old Job and the faith teaching when we got into the faith, hyper faith teaching, they hated the book of Job. They had to explain it away. But the reality is, there's old Job. God's pleased with him. He's doing so well. Consider my servant Job. Devil says, yeah, and devil, he says to the devil, where have you been? You know, so I've been wandering around the earth, and now the devil comes into God's presence. And he says, yeah, but he only serves you because you bless him. Let's see. If you take away those things, let's see, will he still serve you? And God, and I believe that from the devil says it about us as well. Yeah, they only serve you because you bless them. They go, they go they're okay, they're pretty healthy. They've got a house, they've got a roof, they've got car, two, maybe even two cars, got a job. Yeah, but take, touch some of that stuff. Let's see what they say about you. And so God says, yeah, you can do that. 
You can take, and he gave him limitations. Understand the devil can tempt. We know that. He tempted Jesus even. But he's got boundaries. And we know that Job came through at the end. Paul the apostle, he says, uh, Satan, I saw great things, great things. I went to the seventh, third heaven and, and to keep me from getting big-headed and conceited, God gave me a thorn in my flesh. And the faith teaching had to try and explain that one away as well. And he said, I begged God three times, take this thing away, take it away. How many times have you done that? I know I have sometimes. God, this, this physical ailment, this thing happening, this situation at work, take it away. And what if God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Grace is sufficient. Because His grace is sufficient for every situation that you're in. He will never leave nor forsake you. Never. You've got to rest in Him and say, Lord, don't understand. Because I don't understand. God says it's a mystery, the relationship between Him and His church. But God, I trust you. I trust you, Lord. People try and work out the rapture. Is there a rapture? I don't know if there's a rapture. As people, some people think there is a rapture. It's a second coming. Jesus is coming back for his bride. Is there a millennium? Is there not? Is it a thousand years? Is it pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? I mean, 40 years ago, we got big into this teachings and trying to work out God. When the faith teaching came along as well, we had to try and work out God. God you know, God said, well, I trusted God for a Mercedes and never got one. Ah, but you weren't specific. You didn't say what color. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, it's like God's like detail to that such an extent, you know. I think I'm feeling sick. No, don't say that. You do, you, you're speaking negatively and you, you, know, you, must not, you must just say you're perfectly healthy. You just got symptoms of being sick. Those are dying and... and um, and some people got really sick on you know, epileptics and needing medication. You know, that's demonic. And I mean, listen, I'm big into deliverance and sending people free from all these things. I think everything must, at the end of the day, is demonic. Because, I mean, we're living in a broken world. He has the prince of this world. And, you know, the, this, is not, this is not heaven. Heaven is coming. How would you like to be Peter. You know, Jesus says, you know, I've got to go and basically describes going to the cross, going to die. And the Jews now being expecting a Messiah, someone who'd come and save them from this oppression of the Romans. And, uh, and they felt Jesus was the guy. And so Jesus said, no, I'm going to go and die. And Peter said, no, that'll never happen. You know, we're going to defend you. And, and Jesus said, oh, thanks, Peter. It was such a nice heart. I really appreciate your heart. No, he says, get behind me, Satan. How do you like that? Eh? You just told someone you're going to die for them and, and they turn to you and say, no, get behind me, Satan. See, you don't understand the things of God, the will of God. There's so many things we don't fully understand. It's got to come down to this, that we trust God. We trust Him. When you get born again and you, and you come to know Him, that you say, Lord, there may be many things in this life that I don't fully understand because the Bible says we see through a glass darkly. It's not clear. But it's so clear... Life will be a breeze. You know, some people are always saying they hear from God this and, and they often get into massive trouble over these things. Um, but in Philippians 3, 14, it says, press on towards the goal to win the prize. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So there'll be many things that will take place. We don't always know what they mean. I've, I've got so many stories I can tell of things where I've gone to someone who you know, who's dying and, and they've got a baby and two years old and I felt the Lord say, 
going to be okay, and, and you can let go. And the, and the person says, I don't understand. God said, I have a second child. I don't understand either. But, and she went to a coma the next day and died two weeks later. Um, there's so much stuff. We as pastors, we have to walk with people and journey. And we haven't got all the answers. But man, this, God is alive. He's on the throne. The devil is not in control. Jesus is in control. We lift up his name no matter what. We praise him no matter what. When I lay in the hospital bed and, the, and I worked up my heart with God, I said, Lord, I'm going to pray for these two ladies on the side of me and all the rest of the people in coma in the ward. I started lifting my hands up with all the pups and everything. I said, Lord, I don't pray for their physical healing as much as I pray for their souls, that they will know you. Because I've had stories where people have been in comas and have come out and said they encountered God. And so, man, if they can encounter God, and I want to clear the pride and clear the way they will come to know you, Jesus, in this hour that they're about to come into eternity forever. Eternity is forever. This life is very short, folks, very short. Before you know it, it's over, and you're facing it, going to eternity. But we've been so conditioned, I think, even in the church, to act as though this life is it, and eternity is just like an afterthought. You know, it's going to be nice. Don't worry, it's going to be like a... But, you know, but this life... And Christians, even Christians, are so ineffective in the hand of God because they're so focused on this life. You guys think you've got a tough meeting at 11 o'clock, and I'm, we're going to finish now, but one or so. In Durbanville, I, I don't know if you guys are still there during COVID, but we, had, we got kicked out of our building at Stellenberg High School, so we had to meet in the AFM church. They were incredibly gracious. They lent us their building. But they also have meetings there. They said you can have it on Saturday and Sunday afternoon. So for a couple of years, we met we had with 300 adults, so we had to break up into six groups of 50. One at 12 o'clock on Saturday, one at 12, or 2 o'clock on Saturday, 12 o'clock on Sunday, 2 o'clock on Sunday, and then tw- next Saturday, repeat, 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock. Four. So that was a cycle of one, six groups, six meetings. And folk were there. They were serving God. Masks on, worshiping Him. 2 o'clock, why would you come... Who goes to church 12 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon or 2 o'clock on a Sunday or Saturday afternoon? But the folk were there. They were serving God. And my dream over Durbanville was that they'd be resilient. Because Colossians 1, 28 and 29 says, I've got to present them with other leaders and other elders to God one day. We've got to present them uh, and as a virgin bride. As Paul said, I've got to present you as a virgin bride in 2 Corinthians 11. As leaders, we've got a responsibility to prepare you for this life, to enter the next life. To come to power through this life in God and into the next life. That's a responsibility that we have. To, and, and I don't want to sell you a false gospel. Paul said in, in chapter, Acts chapter 20 to the Ephesians elders, so I never hes- hesitated for three years to preach to you the whole gospel. Not the parts that I like. No, he loves you. He wants to bless you. And, oh, that, uh, tell me more about that. There's a time for that where we just talk about how God loves you. Man, how he loves you. But he said, I warned you day and night for two or three years, I think it was. I warned you. But where's the encouragement there, Paul? Didn't you encourage them for two years? No, I warned you. There's going to be wolves arise amongst you. I mean, wow, that's a nice farewell message, you know. But folks, we've got to prepare the church to be strong. If I come back in in 10 years' time, Lord willing, that you'd all be serving God 100%, whether it's here or somewhere else, but you wouldn't have left. Lucas, what happened to that lady over there, that man over there? No, they got offended about something and they left. Something I said or something you said or they just got angry with God. Life got too tough. The Bible says that the cares and worries of this world can choke the life of God out of you. Alistair and Sally sitting over here. I've known them since I got to Durbanville, I think, 2011. 
you know what these guys have been through in life? None of you know, I don't know if you know their story, but maybe you don't need to know. But I'm just telling you now, they've been to the bottom of the valley, bottom. And they're still sitting here serving God, still loving the Lord Jesus. If you knew what they'd been through. Got a young guy called CJ, he's our drummer in Durbanville, youth leader. And he met with me and he said, how come like Durbanville PM, you know, the evening congregation, they've got so much life on them and the morning is a bit more subdued. You know, but the evening guys, I mean, they're all in their 20s. You say, we pizza in 20 minutes, they're all there. Durbanville is morning, is a pizza in two weeks, you know, um, because children's meetings, sport, this, homework, jobs, overtime, Joburg, on business. Just a different congregation, different challenges. And then one day, we, I don't know why I got old, Uncle Stan, we call him, he's 91, he came up to pray, and Uncle Stan's on fire for Jesus. His wife just died at the beginning of this year. At a memorial, he just got up and prayed over us. Keep going for Jesus. He's just a phenomenal man, raised six children, served Lord for 50 years. And I had him come up and pray during one of the meetings in Durbanville, and as he was going back, CJ was sitting there and said, CJ, you see this man, you see these people? They shouldn't be here. They should be crying at home and weeping and, and carrying life. And there's single moms sitting here. don't know how they're going to pay school fees and where they're going to find money for rent. And do you know the things that these people are going, but they're here, two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, worshiping God. Those are radical Christians. Those are radical for God. They're dead to self. They're alive in Christ. And I want to challenge us this morning. I want to provoke us to more. Lord, I don't care what comes my way. I'm going to serve you. Don't get offended, man. This world loves to be offended. And hey, you read all the words and cancel culture and wokeness. And, and, uh, and you see, read a debate that people had. And this guy, he destroyed that person in the debate. And everyone destroyed and crushed. And come on, as Christians, we've got an opposite spirit to this world. Forgive, love. My brother, I don't understand, but I love you. You hurt me, but I love you. Even if you don't ask for forgiveness, I'm going to love you anyhow. I'm going to love you anyhow. I don't think I've got into the message. This is the introduction. No. Hmm? Okay. Hi, everybody. Um, I don't do this very often, but I shared with Russell in the worship time, I felt I heard a prophetic word from the Lord for Lucas. And I asked Russell if I should share it. And he said, well, if it's just for Lucas, tell him later which is what I was going to do, but I feel like it's for all of you. So um, we had breakfast with him this morning with the family. It was really lovely, and, and Lucas was talking about um, how he sees you all as his children. And so the first part of the word I felt for you was that you have enough as a father for your children and for your children. And then I saw Lucas as a, as a bird of prey, soaring in the sky and um, the Lord pointed out the ends of his wings so um, you know the bird um, you, you know what I mean the, how the fingers of the, the feathers sorry sort of are like fingers reaching out and I felt like so why I think this is important is you guys are all feathers at the end of Lucas's wings so he can reach so far in his own but as each of you really lock in and you, like we, we've only been in two churches in like 40 years or something. As you lock in, 
Lucas can reach that much further. And even your children, I felt like um, you are moving towards a stage where your quiver, which is full, uh, you know, it speak, the Bible speaks about um, um, a man whose quiver is full of arrows is blessed. But an arrow is not supposed to stay in the quiver. It's supposed to be shot. And when that arrow shoots, it um, reaches further than you can go as an individual. So, like, Lucas's children are growing up and they're going to shoot further than, than Lucas and Annie can reach. But all of you are also arrows in the quiver if you want to be. You can reach further so that the kingdom of God can be extended. And remember, this is not just about Lucas because Lucas is a feather on, in Andrew's bird and Andrew is, it's all about God actually. So I'm, I'm not trying to puff him up, but if we lock in and we devoted and loyal um, as a entity, as a unit, we can be so much more effective. Very good. Okay, to all you feathers. Philippians 1, I'll finish with the scripture. Paul and Timothy, servants of, the, of Christ Jesus, to all the saints of, in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, he talks to the people first and then the elders. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, that he who began a work will, conti will continue to the day of Christ Jesus. He says, I'm confident of this, and I feel like a confidence in the Lord expressing to you this morning as this congregation that he will finish it in you. He will finish the journey if you remain in him as he remains in you. And position yourself. The important, important part is positioning your heart. Say, Lord, here's my heart. And I, I don't always understand what that means. So the, out, the outworking of that. But as long as God's, you, you position your heart, say, Lord, here I am. I choose to, to trust you 100%. And often God will use leaders to express that. Because the Bible says we, all, we, called, we don't know why he called us, but he did. And half the time we were we confused as to why, God, why he called us. But the reality is he has. And an expression of your submission to God is a submission horizontally. Do you know that? 1 John 4, 20 says, how can you say you, know, you love God? You've never seen. You can't love man. You can see. So all your expression vertically towards God will always be shown horizontally. Because I mean, many people say, I trust God, but I don't trust any man. That's not biblical. Because Jesus, even as he said to Peter, Peter, you're going to fail, by the way. You're going to mess up badly, but he has the keys. No, I'll never, I'll, not me, you know. You're going to fail, but here's the keys. So, Lucas, you're going to fail. You're going to mess up. But Jesus is saying, Lucas, here's the keys to this part of his body, to look after and to care with the other elders and with, under Andrew is leading us apostolically. So understand, we are going to mess up. As our last apostolic leader, when Andrew and I were part of that team, uh, he used to say, if a leader hasn't let you down, go to him and get it over and done with, you know. Say, so, come, yeah. Hopefully not. We really don't want to. That's not our heart is to hurt anyone, okay? In leadership, the last thing you want is hurt one of God's sheep. That you belong to him, not to us. He, bought, he died for you, not us. And we so treasure the privilege of being able to look after and shepherd 
God's people. It's an absolute honor and privilege. We, we call to die that you guys can have and lead you. And as part of our gifting is to do that, to lead you where God wants you to go. Our job is to connect you to Jesus, not to connect you to us, to connect you to Jesus. This morning, I'm, I'm hoping to connect you in a deeper way to your heart, to Jesus, that, he can, that you will be resilient. That if you do, well, all the years that you remain on this earth, that you will seriously, seriously give your heart to him. And you'll have 100% of your heart that one day you can also say, now Jesus had all of my heart. He had me. And it will be expressed through your body. Because the Bible says we'll be judged by the things we did in the body. We'll be rewarded for the things we did in the body. You can't just say, well, my heart is there, but your body's not. It's like being married and then, hey, we got married and cheers, I'll see you at the end of the world, you know. Um, that's not how marriage works. It's not how relationship works. We're in, we're in covenant because we're in covenant with God automatically. We're not a volunteer army. People say it's a volunteer army. We're actually not. When, you're, when you give your life to Jesus, you're part of his bride. You're part of his army. You're there. And if you're not in position, you've been disobedient. You're out of position. If you're just pulling back. And so let's land with this. I feel God wants to restore some folk. I know it's late. It's lunchtime, but we, we're tough Christians. Um, and... But let's be folk right now. I feel if you've been hurt in any way by leaders, that you, you hear, we say, oh, you know the Bible says obey your leaders, all that type of thing, but I'm, I'm not so sure. I've been hurt before in the last church. They manipulated us. They abused us, whatever. Will you get over it? Just turn to Lucas this morning. His story, his experience of, of leadership has not been good up to now. He's been let down many times by people that he thought were godly, and they it turned out not to be. But he's still serving the Lord. He's still 100% get back into the fight. I'll choose to submit. I'll choose to trust again in terms of this field. He's got every reason to walk away, be sitting on the back of the church, arms folded, just going through the motions saying, yeah, but, you know, I've been hurt. Hey, if you haven't been hurt, where have you been? You know, if you haven't been disappointed, let down, it's going to happen. Will you get over it? And get back in the fight and choose. I'm going to use Lucas as our example because he's here. He's been called to lead this congregation. We just say, get behind and say, I choose to, to, to submit to this man as unto God. Because he's a man under submission. He's not a lone ranger. He submitted one to another. This week, we had a meeting with Andrew and a few guys in part of his leadership team. And I challenged Andrew on something that I felt he hadn't handled one of the leaders well. And he, he said, okay, I turned to the guy and said, I apologize. He didn't argue with me. He trusted my judgment on the situation. He's a man, as much as he leads this thing, he's under submission like any other one of us. We're all in, in submission to one another as unto Christ. So you must know, because most of you won't see Andrew and get to see him face to face. But you've got to know he's a man under submission. That he, in that room, he, he was corrected and he took it, just like Paul had to correct Peter. Peter, Paul said to Peter, Peter, you're a, a racist, basically. And Peter had been serving God for 17 years, one of the, the guy who started the church under Jesus. And here he was, this failing after 17 years of ministry. And Peter and Paul had to correct in front of everybody. He didn't take him around the corner, in front of everybody. It's like, it's like Lucas calling me up and saying, Russell, I want to correct you in front of everybody right now. You know, like, wow. And it's written down for everybody to read forever kind of out there. So I think, I feel, feel the Lord zoning in on something that as a people, I felt this morning there was a, there's something powerful about you guys in terms of your love for the Lord. When I watch you worshiping, 
The fact that Lucas could lead you through that worship for quite a long time, and you were still all there. There's something about you guys in terms of your deep love for and worship for the king. But I think God wants to take it even further. He wants to develop that into more. It's great doing it in a safe context here, but, but will you make a decision today not to be offended, not to get upset, not to take, remove yourself from the body of Christ? I always say, guys, if this is not the church for you, that's fine. Go and find a body there where you can give yourself for the rest of your life. Unless they're going to major error. If we ever go into error, please leave. I'll leave with you. No, I'm serious. If there's not fruit, there's not following the scriptures, and then we're dangerous. But I thank God that Andrew, I've known him since January 99. He's a courageous, godly man who will do anything to serve the Lord Jesus. And I want to follow Christ as, as I follow him. So this morning, I think, feel the Lord's just honing on that. Shall we stand? Shame, it's been a long time, eh? Um, Father, I thank you for these people, Lord. I thank you for their deep love for you. How they just, yeah, just presented themselves as living sacrifices this morning. Come into your presence. Come into your throne room. Come to be changed, to glorify you with their lives. And I pray for every single one of them. That, Lord, they would present their lives afresh this morning. And say, Lord, I'm, I'm closing the doors of offense behind me, of anger, bitterness, rage, even of neglecting the gift that God's given you. One of the worst things to see people go through this life, decades of knowing God, but not ever really serving Him, because they got hurt, and they got something went wrong. And as shepherds, we want to help you walk in everything that God's put in your life for, for His glory. We really do. We want to help you to walk in and be obedient, because in Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and teach them to um, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, make disciples, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. This morning, I want to teach you to obey everything that Jesus commanded, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's a new command because as I, as I did, Jesus speaking, as he did, as he modeled to us. So will you love the Lord this morning on a deeper level, deeper sense? Will you choose to do that? You've got to choose. Make a decision in your heart right now. Lord, I want to go deeper in you. If, I, if anything in my life, Lord, that, that offends you, and any, that I've been offended about, I want to kill it right now. Kills any sin. The devil's neutralized you in any way. I want you to just kill that man where the devil's neutralized you and you haven't been effective in God's hand. Whatever God's... It could be even more things that I, what I'm speaking about right now. It might be more that God's highlighting in your heart. That you've got to make right today, not tomorrow, today. Say, Lord, I'm presenting this thing. I haven't been fruitful with my life. You haven't had my full heart, Lord. Because it hasn't been obvious by just the way I've lived my life. Will you do that right now? Touch your people, God. They're your people. You love them dearly. And I really pray that every one of them would hear those words, Well done, good and faithful servant. One day. Thank you, Jesus.